Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plushcare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the Hot Week Podcast. I'm Hot Week Editor Matthew Appleby and today I'm with Rose Expert Daniel Myhill. Now Dan is Treasurer of the Rose Society and National Collection Holder for Persicate Roses. Unusually for a Hot Week Podcast, he's not a professional horticulturalist, but he's an example of a person with a new passion for roses amongst, um, amongst younger people. So hello Dan. Hi, how are we doing Matthew? Yeah, good thanks. Now Dan, I guess we start off with... What brought you to love roses? What what sort of imbued this passion in you? Yeah, well, for me, it started as a child. Um, I grew up down in down the North Kent coast in a two up, two down house with two brothers. So it was quite uh, busy. And for me, you know, I started gardening as a young child with my mum in the small courtyard garden, just helping weeding, really. And really, as I got older into my teenage years, my mum just let me free to do what I wanted to in the garden. And for me, that found my own space, you see what I mean? So that's where I kind of began my love of sort of gardening, as it were. But uh, my mum loved roses as well. So that was sort of like a, an initial sort of seed, if you like, that was sown. And again, as I grew up, I, I gardened for a, an old lady in, in my town where I lived. Um, when I was about 16, 17, and uh, she had lots of old mature roses. And again, she just taught me how to prune them, deadhead them. Again, just setting that another seed in my head, really. So those are the kind of sort of early years of inspiration really and then I went to university and I was fortunate to rent a flat with a with a garden and I just started getting one or two roses because I liked them and then you know one turns to two turns to three turns to four and it sort of spirals from there really. So how do you fit in promoting roses 
and doing your work with the Rose Society and as a national collection holder with your day job, which is a, as a geophysicist. Well, yeah, so I, I'm a, a geotechnical engineer by day. Oh, so. crikey. Is, is that different? <laughs> <laughs> Pedantically, you say yes, but uh, it's, it's, I do a sort of site investigation. So we do boreholes, trial pitting, looking at the ground. So for me, when we, when we talk about soil, I know in horticulture, you might think the top soil is you know, the top sort of foot or two, whereas for me, I'm talking... 5, 10, 15, 20 metres, you know, down below the ground in terms of uh, sort of soil. So I look at it in a sort of slightly different view than that. But for me, um, yeah, I'm just busy, I think is the word. You know, I've, I do my day job, then I come home, I might write a couple of articles, you know, get involved in the, the societies with events and talks and meetings. Hey, keeps us busy in a spare time. No, oh, brilliant. So how, how do you promote roses? What do you do? So I'm uh, involved with the, the Rose Society as treasurer. Um, obviously, we as a society will, you know, have our membership. It's open to the public and it's really to develop a community of rose lovers, really. So we have events that we put on to promote the rose and we have the amateur rose shows as well. Other things that I personally been able to get involved in is I've been very fortunate to write a couple of articles in um, a couple of magazines um to again just you know talk about roses and things and just recently where i've established a national collection that's opened another door for me in terms of being able to actually go and give talks uh, to various or village clubs and societies about the rose brilliant so tell me about the national collection yeah so the national collection um just been awarded uh for the rosa persica hybrids um really it's as they started the sort of seeds were sown back in 2015 when i got my first uh, persica hybrid a variety from harkness roses called alicia princess of phoenicia i saw that at the um chelsea flower show in 2015 where, where i purchased it and that was the same year that um sarah cook had the exhibition of um benton irises which gained a lot of uh, media attention, and rightly so. So that really put, you know, uh, plant heritage and the national collection team on my radar. And from there, you know, where I found the interest in the Persic hybrids, because they were just so unusual in terms of their, you know, the their characteristic red eye, which you don't find in any other types of roses. For me, I started to find another one and another one. And by then I started to get three or four, five, six different hybrids. And I just kind of sort of began to think as the sort of years went by that, oh, you know, this would make a nice collection because they're defined sort of um, varieties in terms of having that unique characteristic. So by the time I got to sort of 2020, 2021, I sort of said to myself, yeah, let's let's uh, let's go for this as a collection. And I sort of started to formalise it and approach uh, Plant Heritage, who are fantastic in helping me, you know, get things in place, you know, Things like I need sort of duplicate plants to in order that, you know, if one dies, we can carry that forward and things. And where I've been involved in the Rose Society since 2019, I've been very fortunate to get to know um, some of the great rose nurseries and the rosarians associated with that. And they've all been really supportive of it in, in, in helping me, you know, supplying plants to the collection uh, as well. So sort of everything's come together, I think, nicely. And well, and the other aspect I should actually mention is that I moved into uh, the property I'm in now in 2020, just before the first COVID lockdown, um, which had a big garden because for me, I love a garden. So I had the space as well to be able to do it. So all those things have sort of come together nicely, I think, to be able to sort of formalise the collection to where we are today. Now, talking of great Rosarians, Chris Warner kind of personifies the Persica. So he's, he must Indeed. have been quite an inspiration for you. 
Yes, yeah, Chris Warren definitely is a, one of my Rose heroes. And for me, Chris uh, is a pioneer, really. And I, I would suggest one of, one of the UK's best Rose breeders. I've been very fortunate with the Rose Society to get to know him personally, which is a great privilege, and, and actually walk through his seedling beds with him. And his mantra, you know, aside from, say, Persica roses, is breeding healthy roses. And, you know, you can walk along his seedling bench and see some beautiful roses. That you think, wow, fantastic. But for him, he'll look at the plant overall. You know, if there's a disease on the leaf, that's it. He'll 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 bin it because it doesn't meet his high standards and i think that mantra and that ethos i think has done wonders for breeding healthy roses which you know require less intervention in terms of persica hybrids he picked up in the 1980s from the work that alex cocker and jack harkness done which were two eminent rosarians of their time um with jack harkness sharing his work in breeding persica hybrids to other breeders for free and that was a key point and from Claire Chris with a group of other amateur breeders Morris Guest, Ronnie Rawlings and Peter James worked on hybridizing Persica hybrids and for context they started in the 1980s and it wasn't till the early 2000s you know that we really started to see the the hybrids break through for instance there's the uh the rose eyes for you which is uh bred by peter james and that's the uh, has a purple eye to it and that was i think came out in 2004 so you can see it's taken 20 years to get to that position and chris warner particularly with his varieties you know i think he helped put perskas back on the map with particularly his variety for your eyes only which won the coveted rose of the year award in 2015 um so you can see that's what 30 years 35 years since he started to, to reach where he to got to get where he got to so i think that's always testament to how long rose breeding and good rose breeding can take no indeed now can you put your finger on why it is persicas for you what why particularly persicas yeah it's a good question i think for me i think it was the the unusual nature of them in terms of you know the sort of the sort of predominantly single flower types with this sort of open uh, flowers with the red eye for me I found that captivating I think as well the traditional um, say hybrid tea rose you know the high pointed hybrid tea rose for me I find those perhaps a bit old-fashioned perhaps is probably the way we could we say it so for me they were new and I suppose being new something shiny you know the sort of magpie in me so I think oh I want to start collecting those. I think there's such a diversity of colours and richness of colours is what captivated me. And also, I think I'm, I'm conscious about what I grow in terms of, you know, things like being bee friendly and things like that. And these are great roses for, for bees because they are open. You know, they have lots of nice stamens which can, um, you know, draw the bees in. Ah, yes. Now, I've got a theory about roses, Dan, right? Right. They seem to personify gardening, right? They're the national mm. flower. But there's a perception that they're old fashioned and they're prickly and they're hard to look after. But the rewards are maybe worth it, but only if you're an expert. But is that still true or is that true at all? I don't think so. I think the myth, it isn't true. I think there's there's two things I think here is that the modern varieties that you see, you see on the market that are coming onto the market in the last five, 10 years, the rose breeders really have looked at breeding healthy roses so that they are easy to grow you know i think what the public i think can can look at is is roses that are won awards so you've got the rose of the year award um and you've got the gold awards and also you've got the rhs's agm i think people need to be looking for varieties which have those markers hallmarks that they're going to be a good rose to grow 
there are unfortunately i think it's perhaps you know something the industry could look at and move towards is that there are some varieties on the market which just my personal opinion they just shouldn't be sold because they're just unhealthy you know but i think part of the not the problem part of the challenge in the rose industry is that roses are sold a lot by their name you know people want a rose to dedicate to a loved one or a pet or or to mark an occasion and sometimes those roses aren't the best roses so if one person gets a rose and it doesn't grow well then to them they're hard and difficult and i think i think the challenge to moving forward is actually to promote roses that are easy to grow and you don't need to have the interventions with you know harmful pesticides or fungicides you know there's a lot of great roses i think persicas particularly you know the ones chris warner has bred there it's beginning in november in my garden they're still flowering and not a leaf on them and now i haven't done hardly anything to intervene with those roses you know i i feed them i mulch them good husbandry but i'm not using anything you know harmful to try and stop and prevent disease they just are doing their own thing so i think we need to try and dispel that myth really i think that they're not difficult to grow no that's fair enough i mean we, i've been writing about roses and their sort of uh, mm. ups and downs over many years and there's always talk of a kind of revival and they do get a lot of publicity and particularly the yeah. big name roses so surely the big name roses you know the the charity roses the the famous people roses you know they don't they do more good than harm even if they're not very good ones i think roses i think i think in a way because roses are inherently so popular that they in a way people just know that they're there all the time you know you get things like say chrysanthemums or dahlias which you know have their have their limelight for a few years then they fall back down you know and, and whatever the next best thing roses are always there and i think sometimes i would say we can't forget about them in that way you know that they are sort of a constant through the sort of the gardening sort of uh, life in terms of roses but um i think Anything that promotes the rose and, you know, suggests the rose is great, is fantastic. But I think we all need to be conscious that we need to make sure those roses are worthwhile growing because somebody might buy just one rose to mark, you know, uh, an occasion, whether that be, you know, some of the events over the last year with regard to the Queen's Platinum Jubilee and and, and her unfortunate uh, passing or, or other marks for other charity events. Those roses need to be need to be good because they may be the only roses that people grow and there are some fantastic varieties out there that have been launched so you've got david austin has launched a new elizabeth rose i saw that i was fortunate to be at chelsea this year and to see that and i've seen it i think then again at hampton court and it's a fantastic rose you see what i mean it's roses like that which will you know i think endure because they are healthy and great roses Talking of prize winners and trials, mm. I bumped into you at the uh, Rochford trials recently. Um, so, what did you make of them? Yeah, the Rochford's International Rose Trials in Hertfordshire are, are fantastic. Um, where the old there was the old Royal National Rose Society, which unfortunately, when its administration went bankrupt, which they used to do seedling trials, and when they went bust, there was a void within England of not having any uh, seedling trials. And uh, Rochford's stepped in and set up a, a ceiling trials at their own cost, which is a fantastic commitment to the rose that they've given. And the rose trials are fantastic. You know, it gives an opportunity for rose breeders, both professional and amateur, to submit roses for consideration over a three year period to, to, to win, to win you know, awards associated with the trials. And 
the, the trials have been fantastically supported by international breeders and breeders here in the UK. So I think that's testament to the work that uh, they've done. No, and they're set to continue for years and years to come. Indeed. Um, now, there's a couple of organisations I want to talk about. First one is the Rose Society. So how mm. does the Rose Society operate and what do you do for it? Yeah, so the Rose Society, it's a, it's the National Society, which essentially any member of the public can join it. Um, it's run on by volunteers who give their time freely and, and ably to, to promote the Rose. Um, we have certain activities that, that we get involved in. For me, my role as treasurer is obviously make sure that the... Uh, the, the, the pennies are, are flowing and we've been very fortunate as a rose society to have great you know help and sponsorship from the the rose industry um we're fortunate to have sponsors such as david austin have sponsored us and we've also been fortunate people like darlac of uh be able to sponsor some of the classes in our rose shows um t- to name a few so the rose society itself is there as a forum for the public to join and meet like-minded people. And I think the Rose Society has only been around as in its current form um, for the last, uh, say, five or six years. But I think as this society grows, we're about 350 members, as the society grows and people get involved with it, we can expand what we do. So last year we had a a visit to, as a society, where we went to Chris Warner's um, uh, and see his breeding work. And then we went to the... uh, they've lost in rose garden as a visit you see what i mean so what we'd like to do is encourage more visits and i think the plan going into winter and early spring is to have an online um talk series of talks which again will be available to society and we will try and open that up for the public to then you know for a fee to come and come and listen and actually learn more about the rose because like i said we all love the rose so it's hopefully a mechanism that we can do other works that the Rose Society do is we uh, we have the amateur rose shows, but we also put on stands at uh, some of the uh, RHS shows. So we, we tend to be at RHS uh, Malvern, spring and autumn, and, and other shows throughout the year, really. So hopefully you, you'll see us about. Oh, great. And the other organisation I wanted to talk about was the YPHA, which you are a member of. Yes, yeah, young people in horticulture. Now, <laughs> again... <laughs> I, as you mentioned from the beginning, I'm not a professional. I am an amateur. So obviously I've been fortunate to become a member through my involvement with the Rose Society, really. And it's it's fantastic to actually be involved in that group because, you know, there's some great people in the group doing some fantastic work to bring young people together. And really, it's I, for me, again, it's that community aspect. You know, it brings the people together because, you know, I can see just with the conversations between other people because there's a, a great WhatsApp group that, there's links between the people in the industry, but they just don't necessarily know that they're there. So by actually putting names and faces together, it, it enables sort of young people to come together and, and move forward. And I know the YPHA has had some fantastic support. Um, I think Michael Perry, who you had on, is a ambassador for the YPHA and also the RHS now, I think, are one of the sponsors for it. So it really is um, gaining traction and, and is a great opportunity, I think, you know, to help young people to come together and, and be the, the next the next step in, in horticulture moving forward. Now, it's definitely a, a good thing. Now, looking ahead, what do you see as trends in roses? What's going to happen um, with with roses? What, what are people looking to buy? What What's going to be on the market? Um, what's the future? It's a great question. For me, I would say I hope Persica roses will be, the, you know, the future forever, uh, which may not be always the case. But just on that note, that's, in, that's an important reason why I've got the National Collection because we know in roses that 
today's best thing, Persica roses, may not be the fashion in five, ten years' time. So it's important to have a national collections that acts as a, a plant library sort of moving forward. Other sort of trends moving forward, it's very difficult because for the rose breeders, it takes them about you know nine, ten years to breed a rose and bring that to market. So they've got to sort of look at their, their magic ball and see what they think is going to be the uh, next best thing. I think, for me, things are unusual the stripes i think there's there's a lot of work being done by the breeders on on striped roses whether that be random stripes or more consistent stripes um i think they'll be a great novelty hopefully that they'll take off what i'd like to see is it's not necessarily a reinvention of the wheel but you know roses which you know have got all the characteristics we might love some of some of our old favorites but actually are healthier roses you see what i mean so i think you're still going to have that same sort of, you know variety that we have you know with the you sort of david austin doing their english english roses and things and the other more classic floral bundles and bush roses but um i just think healthier roses and if we can move towards better communication you know from the rose nurseries and, and the selling point of view as to you know what the public should be looking for i think that'll help the rose greatly tell me more about striped roses are we going to get a tiger rose is zebra rose <laughs> well there are some fantastic uh, striped roses already out there there's a there's a variety that uh, is sold by cnk jones's uh, keith jones up in uh, cheshire and um called oh wow and it's, it's it's actually a climbing variety and it's it's white with purple stripes and the name oh wow i think as um keith it was, it was his wife rachel when they first saw it as a seedling that was their reaction to it because it is quite a stunning uh a rose like that so there are already a few out there i think um Delbard, uh, the French uh, breeder, they've they had a series of uh, of striped roses that, that a few are available on the market, you know, as the years have gone by. But uh, I think, yeah, anything that's novel and unusual, I think will uh, will take people's fancy. I think. Ah, oh, brilliant. Now, talking of uh, novel and unusual, we always ask our guests what plant they would take to a desert island. Um, now I know what you're going to pick. Well, I can guess. <laughs> I reckon the audience can guess. But anyway, Dan. Yeah. If you have well, to go to a desert island, what are you going to take? What plant? Well, it's got to be a Persica hybrid. But which one? I've got 42 in the collection, so it's like choosing between children. But there is one rose. There's a rose called I Do, uh, and it's a rose that actually my wife Hannah she purchased and named for us as a private naming from Colin Dixon for our wedding earlier on in the year. And that you know we've got. 12 plants of it and we're the only ones that have got those 12 plants so it really is a truly a special rose to me um so i think i'll take that one with me oh that's a fantastic story to end on so <laughs> thanks very much to dan myhill and i'm matthew appleby horticulture week editor and this is the Hort Week Podcast. And make sure you never miss one. Subscribe to or follow Hort Week Podcast via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts, or your preferred podcast platform. And once again, thanks for listening and goodbye till next time. are on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince 
Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Are you ready for truly hydrated skin? Meet Hyaluronic Body Serum, a breakthrough in body care from Osea. It's clinically proven to instantly increase hydration by 161%. Their lightweight, fast-absorbing serum delivers 24 hours of nonstop hydration for silky, smooth skin without the sticky afterfeel. Osea's latest innovation combines the magic of their best-selling Hyaluronic Sea Serum with a new formula that's good for the whole body and five types of hyaluronic acid to target every layer of the skin. Osea is a woman-founded, women-led brand that's been crafting seaweed-powered products for nearly 30 years. The best part? Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code SUMMER at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code SUMMER.